Last week we talked about false standards of authority. We looked at how that we really cannot determine right or wrong based upon our parents. We should honor them, but that's not the standard of right and wrong. Our conscience is a guide, but it's not a foolproof guide. It's only as good as it's trained to be. You can do wrong while having a good conscience. You can do right and still beat yourself up and feel guilty about it. So it's not a foolproof method. The majority is not the standard because many are headed on the broad way that leads to destruction and only few are on the straight and narrow path. So you can't go by the sheer number to determine whether something is right or wrong. You really can't go by religious leaders because all religious leaders are men. Myself included, you need to check what is said by the Scripture and not just by what some man says. Nor should you go by tradition. Traditions can be uh, made up by men. And so in those cases, those things could be something that causes false worship. And that's what Jesus called out. Our feelings, our emotions are not the standard. Uh, you can feel good about something that is wrong. The way that uh, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The proverbs say. You can't go by denominations or what some church or group says because many of those are wrong. There were churches that did right, churches that did wrong. Some churches should not exist because they're they're simply uh, originating from men. Uh, We need to be the kind of church we read about in Scripture. The end does not justify the means. You can't go by whether sometimes people think that because the good comes out of a thing, that makes it right. Not necessarily. Uh, Sometimes good can happen in spite of our disobedience. and nor should you go by creeds. Those, that's what we dealt with last week. If you want a more in-depth of that, you can go to the YouTube page that we have and listen to that and, and see the scriptures that were presented. But what I want to focus on in this lesson is to talk about how we should really respect God's Word as our standard. And I believe that's a good place for us to really focus on is that to know what is right and what is wrong there has to be a good attitude of heart. And it should be derived from our respect for when God speaks. If you go to the very beginning when God spoke the world into existence, look at the power of God's Word. He spake and it was done. He said, let there be light, there was light. That's the power of God's voice. When God speaks, we should listen. When God said and gave one rule, you can eat of all the trees in the garden, but that one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of it. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Somebody might think, well, that's just one little thing. But breaking that rule, not listening to God, has caused so much damage, so much harm, and we're still feeling the the effects of that today and the consequences of breaking that one rule. That right there teaches us that we should respect when God says, don't do something. He's trying to prevent us 
from hurting ourselves or someone else or our relationship with God. If we remember the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Anytime we break a commandment of God, we have broken at least the first that we didn't love God the way we were supposed to when we break any of His commandments. And we may have broken the second that we didn't love our neighbor as ourselves. Because if we love God and we love our neighbor, we're not going to steal from them. We're not going to be covetous. We're not going to rob them. We're not going to harm them. We're not going to murder them. We're not going to... You see, all of those other commands, they hang on the first two, and that is to love God and love your neighbor. So to love God means to listen to Him, to respect what He says, to care about what He says, to understand that His Word are the words of life. And we're going to be judged by that Word. In Deuteronomy, Moses said that these commandments that God has given us are for our good always. Now suppose I come to a commandment of God and I say, I, I don't really understand. Why would God say, do this? Or don't do this? And that might be the case. It might come to some passage and I say, I, you know, I really don't understand what the big deal is here. It's possible. But whether I understand the purpose behind it or not, I need to respect that there must be some reason. If God spoke, then I need to listen. God has a powerful voice. God is not bound by the physical, but He's given us an illustration how that when He spoke to Job, He said, Can you thunder with a voice like God? And God is greater than the thunder He created and the lightning that He created. But how powerful is God's voice? And just thinking about that sound that strikes and, and demands our attention, that ought to cause the respect within my heart that whenever God says something that I should listen. When the voice from heaven spoke concerning His Son and said, This is my beloved Son, hear ye Him. Then I need to listen to what Jesus said. And I need to care about what He said. And He's given all demonstration for me to, first off, realize that He is God. He's made us. In Romans, Paul made the point, he said, should the thing formed say to the one that made it, why have you made me thus? I've got to recognize, He's the potter, I'm the clay. And so when God says, do this or don't do that, I should stand at attention in my heart. I should be erect in my heart to say, I want to hear what he says. And, I, and should he have to browbeat me? And should he have to plead and beg me? Or should he simply say it one time and that one time be enough for me to say, yes, sir, and then do that? I really believe that that respect is something that needs to be within us if we're wanting to please God. If I understand that all inherent authority belongs to God, and I need to see that, and then see that He gave that authority to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28, 
Jesus said, before he ascended into heaven, in Matthew 28, in verse 18 he said, and came and spake unto them, saying, All power, that is all authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus has all authority. And before Jesus left his apostles, he cared about them and he said, I'm not going to leave you without a comforter. I'm going to send another. And he will guide you into all truth. And we learned that in John, in chapter 14 through 17, there's this long discussion that Jesus has with his disciples, with his apostles. And he's letting them know that he's going to send them the Holy Spirit who's going to remind them of the things that he's been telling them for the past three and a half years. And he's telling them that he's going to reveal new things that they weren't quite ready for yet at that time. Well, I believe that the Holy Spirit came on the apostles in Acts 2 after, when Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with that power from on high. They received that in Acts 2. The, the, the Spirit came upon them. And they had that power that He gave them. They were able to speak in these languages that they had not studied. And it was demonstrated by that. The, the apostles were given an authority that Jesus had promised them when He said, I, I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 16. And He also said, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. So the apostles were given a certain amount of authority to the point that when the apostles spoke, these were not just their opinions. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said that the things I write unto you are the commandments of God. So Paul wasn't just making up things. He wasn't just giving his ideas he was inspired of the Holy Spirit to write the things that he's writing. Let me give you an illustration of this in Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talks about and he's thankful for and he's humbled by the fact that God had chosen him to be an apostle. And he's revealed certain things to him. But now when he shares that to the Ephesians, they can read what God has given to him and they can understand that knowledge and then know the riches of what God has given to us. But in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3, it says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. There were things that Paul was given that people in the past had not known. Paul's acknowledging that fact. Paul is thankful of that. But now we get to have those things that in the past angels had desired to look into. And we have the full picture because we have the completed revelation that has been handed down to you and I. And now what I need to see is, is that when, when in the Scripture, that is my guide, that is my standard, and I have all of it. Let me establish that I really believe that we don't need any other writings of men outside of the New Testament. We have it all. 
We have all things that pertain to life and godliness, Second Peter chapter 1. We need to understand that. We need to understand that everything that God has given us that, that is within, contained within these pages are inspired. These, this is not like Shakespeare. This is not like some just good literature that you maybe should read and learn. This is not just like good advice. This is so much more than that. This, these are the words of God. When God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses and he wrote it with his finger, it, it was no doubt from God, not just something that was a good idea. We, but we have more that had been revealed since then, but it has been complete. There are no more revelations. In Galatians chapter 1, we need to understand that if someone come, comes along today and says they have some new revelation, if a preacher says, God has given me this message and he's laid it on my heart and now I'm giving it to you, and then people swallow that hook, line, and sinker thinking that, okay, well, this is, must be the message of God. Better listen to what he says because this is inspired of God. You're going to be led astray by that. If it's not in God's Word, I'm not going to believe it, and neither should you. In Galatians 1, in verse 6, it says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So if somebody comes along and says, an angel told me to tell you this, are you going to believe it? He said, if, though we or an angel preach anything else, don't believe it. Let him be accursed, he says. And he repeats it. Uh, so he only has to say it once, but he repeated it for emphasis. We need to see that, that there are people claiming to speak by inspiration. They're claiming that they're a prophet, and they are false. When the uh, Ephesian church had found some that said they were apostles, but they found them to be liars, the Lord commended them for that. We need to understand that not everything that we hear is true. And just because a preacher says it, just because that preacher does a lot of good works doesn't mean it's right. And so we need to understand that we need to say what saith the Scripture. Where, where's the book, chapter, and verse? What does the Bible say? If it's in Scripture and I can put my finger on the passage, and if that's what it means in that context, then I need to accept that and nothing else. Remember that in John chapter 12, we have an example of uh, the kind of respect that I, I believe we need to have for what God says more than what anybody else says. In John chapter 12, in verse 42, we need to see that sometimes there are those who are religious who put pressure on people to conform to their way of thinking. And we need to not cave into that pressure. We need to listen to God. In John 12, verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. 
for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So really when I think about respect, I've got to ask myself, and, and you should ask yourself, who do I respect more? Who do I love more? Do I love God? Do I care about what He thinks of me? Do I care what He has told me? Or do I care what some other person has said to me? Regardless of the consequences, am I willing to follow God even if that means that others are not going to like me or they're going to hurt me or, or say things about me or, or whatever? Am I going to follow God? I need to recognize that God's Word and His Bible that He has given us is our pattern. When I think about the pattern found in Scripture, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and notice this with me. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 13, Paul told Timothy, Hold fast the form of sound words. Some of your translations may say the pattern of sound words. Some of your translations may say the standard of sound words. You see, there are sound words, there are wholesome words that are true and right, and then there are other words that people say that you can't believe or you shouldn't believe. Which ones are you going to hold to? You need to cling and hold fast to what God says, and you need to not be led astray by what men say. And so that, that pattern of Scripture is what we need to follow. The pattern that is inspired by God. And recognize that God's Word is final. Okay, in Jude verse 3 it says, The Word that was once delivered. We need to recognize that there's somehow there when, when Jude was speaking of that, he wasn't talking about something that, well, you can take it or you can leave it. Or something that, well, it was delivered one way to these people, but another way to some other people. The Bible's not written in some kind of code that you need to decipher or some crossword puzzle. There's, you, there's a book out called the Bible Code, like you need some kind of a, a computer program to be able to decipher some hidden meanings in the Scripture. That's nonsense. The Bible was not given in some kind of secret hidden message that you can take this way and you can take it this way and take it however you want to take it. It is one message for all people. And this New Testament that we have is for us. And it's not for me to come along and to change it or, or to update it. It doesn't need updating. Sometimes people think that, well, that, that seems kind of old-fashioned there. Maybe we need to realize that you know, times have changed and out with the old, in with the new. And, you know, that, 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 that message about loving your neighbor or that message about one man for one woman for life, that, that message, somehow that, that needs to be updated. No. What Jesus said, you've heard what was said by others, but I say unto you, when Jesus spoke, that means listen to that and nobody else. And so I need to see that the pattern in Scripture is what I need to follow. When you think about a pattern, God gave a pattern to build the ark to Noah. Now let's think about that a moment. He gave him certain dimensions. It needed to be a certain length, a certain height. 
the pattern was there. He told him what type of wood to make it out of. He told him to pitch it inside and out with pitch. He told him to put a window there. There were certain specifications and instructions that he needed to follow. If he had broken any of that and said, well, you know, do you think God would mind if I make it a little bit longer or if I made it a little bit shorter? Or do you think he would mind if I added a little different type of wood? I like this wood better, so let's just make this wood. Or do you think God would mind, you know, if one window, why don't I make many like a lot of the pictures that you see that, that depict that? You see, sometimes people think, I would like to do it this way. Well, what happens in Scripture anytime someone alters the pattern that God gives? Is that a big deal? Like sometimes people think it's not that big of a deal. But what happens in Scripture sometimes when that would happen? There have been some serious consequences in Scripture when men deviate from the pattern that God has given. God gave a pattern for the tabernacle. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. In Hebrews chapter 8, the Hebrew writer brings up this point concerning Moses and his pattern, but then he's going to bring that back around and show if that pattern was important, we need to follow the pattern that's given to us through Christ that we now have in a new covenant. But notice in Hebrews 8, verse 5, he says, "...who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. If you've perhaps been following a Bible reading plan, sometimes people do a, a Bible reading plan where they start in Genesis and read through the Bible in a year. If you've done that, you've probably gotten past Exodus by now. This is about the time of the year where a lot of people begin to fall off of that plan. They reach to a point at the end of Exodus when he starts talking about all of these details about the tabernacle, about the boards, about the veil, the curtains, certain things about the furniture that would go in there, the, the ark of the covenant. The, there was various things and details and instructions that were given. And sometimes people start reading, you know, he talks about, depending on your translation, the knots, the flowers, the, the hooks. And sometimes people read all that and say, I don't understand all that. Why is he telling me all of these details about the tabernacle? If, you're, if you don't take anything else away from that, then understand that God had a set way that he wanted them to do things in that tabernacle. And there was a certain way in which he wanted the priest to dress. There was a certain way in which he wanted them to perform their sacrifice. When you get into Leviticus, there, if you've made it past Exodus, sometimes people drop off in Leviticus. But you see all of these instructions about various sacrifices that they were to make. Again, if you see a takeaway, is that God had a way in which he wanted them to do certain things. And they needed to learn some respect about how to do that and perform that. Now, while we're thinking about that and talking about respect, go to Leviticus for a moment, and I want you to see the power of, of why we need to respect what God says in Leviticus chapter 10. After giving instructions about 
sacrifices how they're supposed to be made. There were ways in which they needed to perform certain things. One was in how that they offered fire before God. Anything other than what God had, had told them was unauthorized or called strange or foreign to what God had said. Now, look at Leviticus 10 and verse 1, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord. Some of your translations may say unauthorized fire which he commanded them not. Now somebody might say, well, whatever they did, it didn't say thou shalt not do, and then name that specifically. Well, did he have to? If he said do it this way, he doesn't have to say don't do it this way, don't do it this way, don't do it this way, don't do it this way. So not only do we see the respect for what God says, but respect what he did not say. He doesn't have to say don't, and then name all of that. Do you remember, could you just imagine how big our Bibles would be? We wouldn't be able to carry that. We'd, even if we had some kind of a, a, a luggage rack to be able to carry some instructions, if, if, if there was thou shalt nots for everything that God had to say for us to, to abstain from, if God says do this, then do that. And what happened is when they offered that unauthorized fire in verse 2, there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Can you think of a greater example of our need for respect for what God has commanded to teach us that? Even if, I know that in the New Covenant we're not given those exact instructions. We have different instructions today on how to worship. But we're serving the same God. The principle is still true. I better not offer unauthorized worship. Not all worship is accepted before God. Just because somebody worships God doesn't mean God accepts it. The very first example of worship in Scripture, what was that? When Cain and Abel worshiped God, one was accepted, one was not. You know what that teaches me? Not all worship is accepted. They were both worshiping God. Something was wrong with one. And so that teaches me it matters my heart and how I worship God. Jesus said that the Lord seeks those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so I need to seek to both have the right attitude and the right action in the things that I do. I need to care about what God tells me. And I need to respect it that I won't deviate. And if I get away with it and God hasn't punished me, that doesn't mean that it's okay. It might mean that God is long-suffering and God is patient and He's gracious. But that doesn't mean I should abuse that and go beyond. This pattern that God has given us in the Scripture is something that I need to respect and not go beyond the pattern. In Second John, notice with me how that we're told uh, something uh, concerning the, the danger of going beyond what God has said. In Second John, in verse 9, 
He says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Some of your translations say, He who runs on ahead, or he who goes beyond, or he who does not do what is prescribed, or goes beyond what is prescribed, to go further than what God has said is wrong. In Deuteronomy, we're told not to diminish anything from what God has said and not to add to it. In Proverbs, chapter 30, he said, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. We need to be careful about adding to and taking away. In the book of Revelation, at the very end, he, he warned that about that book, which I think we can apply the same principle to all of God's words. And that is, at the end of that, he said, if anyone adds to the words of this, the book of this prophecy, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Whoever takes away from it, he'll take away their part out of the book of life. That's a serious warning. But he also gives blessings. At the beginning of the book, he said, blessed is he who reads and hears and understands and does. The... When God speaks, if I listen to Him and I have the right heart and I respect what He says and I do what He says, there are blessings that go with that. When I ignore God or I dismiss what God says or I try to do things my way, there are consequences that come along with that that are dangerous. And so I need to see that, that the pattern that we find in Scripture is very important. If he said, hold fast the pattern, that means I need to hold fast to the pattern of what is taught and not go beyond it. We're told, Paul told Timothy, charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Some have gone on and they've swerved. It's that idea of swerving, veering off, trying to teach those in my household how to drive. And so what you want to do is keep it between the lines. That's the idea. You don't want to be swerving off of the road. You don't want to be going off. But what happens is God's Word has said, and He's plainly said in, in, in various places, don't veer to the left or to the right. There are sometimes people who think, well, let's just get as far over this. Well, if you get over, if you're driving and you get off the shoulder too far, well, that's dangerous. If you veer over here too far, that's equally dangerous. You know where it's safer is between the lines. Don't and stay in between the two lines. When God says, do this, stay on that path, you can err in both directions. And so we need to understand that. The Bible is that pattern that we need to follow and not go beyond. If Noah was given a pattern in the ark, if the tabernacle was given a pattern, then the church today is also given a pattern. And, and if, Lord willing, in future lessons, we're going to talk about what that means and what, what that pattern looks like. But what I want you to do is apply the principle of what I'm saying about respecting God's Word. If I want to know what the church is to be, what it's to be called, how it's supposed to worship, what the work is, how it's supposed to spend the money, all of those things, how it's organized, 
every one of those things needs to be by the pattern I find in Scripture and not deviate from that pattern if I want to be pleasing to God. And if I've come to find out something in my life or some way that I'm acting in that is not according to what I'm reading about in Scripture, God grants forgiveness to those who have recognized, well, you know, maybe I've practiced that wrongly. Paul the Apostle recognized when he came to a point, uh uh-oh, you mean what I've been doing was not what the Lord wanted me to do. And God allows someone to change their mind, and he actually requires that repentance when you discover that. And what we all need to be doing all throughout our lives is examining ourselves and then asking ourselves in light of Scripture, am I in line with it? Not take the Scripture to twist it to suit me, because that's so easy to do. I've got to cultivate a humble heart and mold myself to fit this. On all of these aspects, the, my character, my attitude, my speech, my worship, all of that needs to be surrendered to His will to please Him. And yes, I do believe in grace where there may be, sometimes there are those who've done what they have in ignorance. Maybe they didn't know any better. Well, this is why we should study and seek to learn. Now, doing something in ignorance doesn't mean it's still okay. It just we, we need to understand that God is a forgiving God, but we can change that. And so that's why we need to continue to seek His will and study and learn from it. But respect that pattern. That's my main takeaway for us to have. Do you respect what God has said about your life and about your future that there are only two ways, two places that you're going to go at the end of this life? We talked about it's better to consider the end of a thing. It's better to consider... The day of death, it's better to go to the house of mourning, the house of feasting. If you consider that from what we talked about in the class this morning, we're all going to meet that end. It's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. We're all going to be judged, not by each other, not by other men, but the judgment that God gives is the one that's going to count. And whatever he says will be final. And there will be no other second chances after that. God gives second chances while we're living. But once we, are, once we are passed into the next life, that is it. And then it, we, we need to make sure that whatever our condition is, is right before we meet that in. And don't put that off because that's so important. God will bring everything we do into judgment. I want the Lord to say, Enter in, thou good and faithful servant. You don't want him to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Make sure you're right. There's nothing more important than that. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that with all your heart? Do you believe him and what he says in his word above what anybody else says? Do you believe what the scripture teaches about Jesus, that he is the Son of God? That he was God with us. He came to the earth and walked among us, but yet he was God. 
And now he's in heaven. He is above every one and everything. And he has authority. And he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Will you not surrender to him and confess? Because every tongue will confess. But why not confess now? And I believe Jesus is the Christ. Turn from your way and surrender to him and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. The beauty is if you put on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, if, you're, if you put your old person to death, you say, you know, maybe, maybe what I've been practicing in the past was not right. I changed and I'm going to do my best. And then you're buried with him in baptism. You contact his blood. You're buried with him in his death. And then you're raised to walk in newness of life. Now you're going to live for him the best of your ability. And you're going to walk in faith till the day you die. You see, that's, that's the pattern we find in Scripture. We talked about the pattern. There's a pattern of salvation, and that's it. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Repentance, baptism, and then raised to walk in newness of life. If you're a Christian, then continue to seek to learn and to know that pattern. Whatever your need is, whatever way you need to change in order to fit that pattern, we stand ready to assist you. Why don't you come to the front while we stand and as we